Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host, Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum, and this is episode 31. So I have another guest lined up for today's episode. I'm talking to Joanne Sunderland-Bow. Now, Joanne is director of Heritech Limited. This is a UK-based heritage education consultancy, and she works on a lot of European collaborative projects. Joanne has a keen interest in object-based learning and object-based teaching, and also creative and critical thinking. But before I share our chat, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by treating me to a cup of tea on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Claire I'll also put a link in the show notes and the show notes. Lots of links today. They'll be available on my website, thinkingmuseum.com forward slash podcast. And this is episode 31. So in today's chat with Joanne, I ask her about her work and the type of projects she works on, but also her passion for object-based learning and teaching. We talk about what we mean by object-based learning and the framework she's developed, namely the four areas of inquiry dialogue and the acts of wondering. She also shares lots and lots of tips for how you can better engage your audience with objects. So I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Here it is. Let's get started with today's episode. So hi, Joanne. Welcome to the Art Engager podcast. Hello, Claire. How are you? I'm very well. I'm so delighted you could be here. We could have this chat together. It's great. It's fantastic to be here today and I'm really excited um, about our conversation this afternoon. Yes, so let's start by talking, perhaps you could talk a little bit about what you do and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Yes, so um, I've been involved in museum education now for nearly 20 years. Um, I came at it actually from a change of career um, amazingly um, I had started or studied history and archaeology for an undergraduate degree and went and did um, some other things and realized that actually I wasn't very happy doing those other things and uh, ended up doing my master's and that really 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 reignited my passion uh, for archaeology for history and of course for objects so now I work Broadly speaking, um, as a museum educator, as a heritage consultant, that work involves um, a mixture of lots and lots of different um, tasks and challenges and clients and projects. So no uh, two days or no week or month um, is exactly the is exactly the same. So it's it's you know, it's fun and stimulating, and it's great to work with a whole range of different collections. Yeah, that's um, one of the joys of working for yourself, isn't it? That you get to pick and choose your clients and also no two days are the same. Oh, very much so. And also just um, 
continually being challenged and challenging oneself um, as well in one in one's practice. It keeps, you know, it keeps it fresh uh, for me particularly, um, and, and I learn a tremendous amount uh, from the different organisations and the different people. I work with as well so it's not just um you know if I'm going into to a client to, to work on a training program or to do a piece of consultancy work it's very much a collaborative uh, collaborative process for me yes yeah absolutely and you mentioned practice there so I want to ask you whether there are any sort of values or principles that are essential in your practice me I think it's very much about not being selfish um, if that makes sense Um, really about being collaborative um, in in the approaches that I take being prepared to listen and listening and really understand uh, the different organizations and collections that I'm working with as well Um, I think it's very easy to be quite protective sometimes um, about the work that one does um, but actually I think sharing is a much more rewarding process and for me personally anyway. That sounds really interesting and I suppose listening is a key part of that as well listening to your clients needs and what they're looking for. Absolutely and never going in with um, an assumption Um, and often it is quite interesting depending on the type of work that I'm doing that I often find that I'm asked to go in to do perhaps a piece of um, consultancy work and actually through listening um, or it actually ends up being more of a mentoring approach and actually that the the people and the clients I'm working for already have the answers they just didn't know how to articulate them. Yeah yeah for sure. So tell me about some of the projects or clients or groups that you've worked with. Perhaps you could give us a couple of examples. Yeah, so my focus at the moment is on two uh, European Union projects uh, that I'm working on. So these are Erasmus Plus uh, funded partnerships. Uh, One's called the Creative School, um, and that's a continuation of a project that started several years ago now as the Creative Museum. Um, And another one is uh, the four C's. Uh, So that's really focusing on the four C's of 21st century thinking um, through, again, sort of school and and educator um, best practice and development. And very much as well at the moment, my focus has been, or recent work has been very much been focused on staff training and development. Um, So running training programmes, either in person or online, getting um, people to think about their own practice um, and very much looking at things like reflective practice um, as well. Ah, which we had a recent um, episode on on the podcast as well. I wanted to focus um, a little bit on your work with object-based learning um, because you have already um, delivered one masterclass for my membership and you're going to deliver another one in December. And um, I hold you in high regard as an expert in this area. So tell me a little bit about how we can get audiences to engage with and learn from objects. How can we use object-based teaching or object-based learning to really engage participants? For me, I think just as a starting point, I just want to clarify my own interpretation and understanding of what um, object-based learning and object-based teaching means for me in my practice, um, both as um, an educator and facilitator, but also um, as a trainer 
um, and as a consultant. I think um, I want to challenge the concept and the idea that object-based learning is purely about objects that you touch. Object handling um, is, I suppose, in some ways a kind of subcategory of the overall idea of, of learning from and through and engaging with objects. So when we talk about object-based learning, I A, use objects in the widest possible definition of objects. So anything from a museum, you know, something that's in a museum collection to a work of art, but even actually to, to buildings, um, archaeological sites and landscapes um, as well. Um, and as I say, it's not just about the idea of, of um, touching, but it's actually what you can see and how you can engage. So actually, when we talk about object-based learning, it can be you know, objects in cases, things that we can't um, engage through touch, but also, you know, we're increasing, and as we found out, it's also about digital um, engagement. And all of these things can be done and achieved, um, and we can still use object-based learning um, in, in its widest possible definition. So that's sort of really one of my kind of key, key principles um, when I start to talk about object-based learning. For me, my starting point as well is always trying to understand what it is that we're trying to um, interpret, discuss, um, or our ways into an object. And there was a fantastic uh, sort of mind map that was produced by DCMS in a report about 20 years ago, um, and that's been updated now by Flinders University in Australia. Um, and I call it this kind of wagon wheel or the anatomy of an object, because there's lots and lots of different ways or angles um, that we can take to using and working with an object. And I think as a as a practitioner, as a practitioner, as a facilitator, understanding those angles and those ways in or the anatomy um, of an object is really understanding um, the starting point. Lots of people that I work with, lots of clients um, that I go in to deliver object-based learning uh, training for, or if I'm creating a workshop, um, often don't think that they're using object-based learning or object-based learning properly, as I say that in sort of inverted commas, but actually they are using it, but what they're not doing is reflecting sufficiently um, on the way that they're using it um, and on their own practice. So for me, it's about understanding, you know, it's not necessarily knowing everything there is to know about an object and imparting that information. It's understanding the ways in which people can and will and do interpret objects and the way that we use those um, in, um, in my, whether it's a workshop or on a, re, on a resource um, on a trail um, or part of a, a guided tour. So it's understanding those ways in. Also thinking about um, how we, as I say, how we interpret. And I think there's a, there's a sort of great saying that, you know, sort of objects speak for themselves. Actually, no, objects don't speak for themselves. It's the way that we mediate um, that engagement. But of course, objects themselves are fantastic stimulus for uh, discussion, for dialogue, um, and for, you know, drawing on one, one's own personal experiences, uh, one's own um, interpretation as well, and making connections 
um, yeah. through cultures and societies and across time as well. So many benefits of working with object-based teaching. Could you perhaps share a few examples from that um, wonderful um, example that you shared from DCMS, which has been updated by Flinders University, and I can link to that in the show notes as well, about different ways that you can actually engage or inquire into an object? Yeah, so we can look at an object in in a number of different um, ways. So we can think about um, its aesthetic qualities. We can think about the design, the technique, the materials that were used to make it. So we can think about how that object um, was made. But actually, that then um, is a springboard into then starting to think about the culture, the society, the person or people that that object belonged to. And the value um, that was uh, that, that those people or societies or cultures um, had in relation to the the object, but also you know the the provenance, um, the significance to the people, but also for us today as well. So in in the wagon wheel, we can start to think about um, how that object um, inspires us, what connections we can make um, with with the object and what um, themes and subjects um, that the object raises. And often we can use those um, ways in thinking about those different um, types of questions that we can use to interrogate and think about um, an object as well. Thanks for sharing. And do you use any other sorts of frame frameworks when you're inquiring into objects? Yeah, so um, a lot of my work recently um, and my own process of, of reflective practice has led me into sort of thinking about what are the key things that we we do when we engage um, with an object as part of a as a part of our, our workshop or tour. And some of these have a lot of um, overlaps uh, with um, you know, physical thinking um, strategies um, as well as well as lots of um, thinking routines but there's, there's some particular things that I've myself have sort of started to, to focus on and there's kind of four areas are the ways in which um, object-based learning is driven by this concept overall concept of inquiry dialogue so it's where um, whether it's students or workshop participants um, or got, uh, t- tour uh, participants, work together um, to build on each other's contributions. Um, they engage each other and they engage the workshop leader, the educator, the facilitator. And it's really based on this idea of exploring and considering multiple possibilities. So with this um, sort of idea of inquiry, dialogue, or sort of dialogic thinking, uh, we also have these acts of wondering. So this is this idea of, you know, what what are we, you know, speculating? What is the, you know, what are the possibilities, this idea of the possibilities? Um, And then through that process, there's the idea of collective thinking and collaborative um, interaction. So these are things that I've been working on in my own practice and thinking about how we draw those together so it's those four areas for me object-based learning is underpinned by collective thinking collaborative interaction inquiry dialogue and acts of wondering and I think understanding that as a first step um, for me and with the, the clients that I'm working with as well 
um, helps understand. It's about understanding the process which our our participants or our visitors are going through when they're also um, engaging. And I think that's a step further than previous uh, research or work in this area has has really explored. And I think that's, for me, um, helps me articulate what object-based learning um, and object-based teaching can do um, for educators and, and facilitators, but also then helps structure the conversations um, and the tours and workshops or even, say, trails or materials that we're creating um, as part of that process. And that structure is so helpful, isn't it, as I found with uh, thinking routines and having somewhere to go in your conversation, thinking about, oh, I might start with observation, I might move on to this type of interpretation, I might be making connections, or I might be um, reasoning with evidence, all those sorts of things, and then concluding in some way. Having that structure as an educator really helps you to build those well-rounded discussions that feel as though they have a purpose and they're going somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there's also, I've also been going back um, in my own reading and, and research as well to um, to studies about um, material culture um, and looking at the work particularly of, of, um, of Prown um, and this idea of, you know, discussing, speculating and, and deducing, which again overlaps massively with, with BTS um, and other, lots of other um thinking routines but it gives you a springboard and you start and but of course with anything it's starting as you mentioned it's starting with the looking um and that could be um a piece of close looking or it, it, it could almost be a, you know a, a sweep to start with but you then start to dig you know to dig to dig deeper i think that's the key for me yeah, and it's that collaborative learning as well, being together as a group and wondering out loud and making your thoughts visible. And, you know, some one person says something, another person notices something new. It, you know, brings up new lines of inquiry and actually working together, discovering together as a group is such a, a positive process as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's rewarding for both you know, the, the educator or facilitator, as well as um, for the participants themselves. You know, you can see that um, movement through of collective thinking um, and that um, collaborative um, interaction. So it's very much about a joint, a joint process with, with the objects um, or objects um, in the middle as the, as the stimulus. Yeah, and no two programmes are ever the same, are they? Absolutely, because no two groups ever the same. So it's really fascinating. And and also, in that sense, it means that you are always learning yourself um, as, you know, as a practitioner. Um, as well and no and you noticed you know you could work be working with the same object that you might have worked with for 20 years but actually there's always new ways um, of interpreting it there's new new conversations that that can be had or new connections um, that can be made because of that it's very much on that process of drawing on one's personal experiences yeah I wholeheartedly agree keeps you fresh and keeps you on your toes as well so um, I'd love you to share some top tips. So have you got any tips for our listeners for how they can engage their audiences better with objects? I think for me, I think the starting point is thinking about the 
questions and the questioning um, that you that you're going to set up. And also, um, whilst we want whilst it's really important and you want to keep an open interpretation, you know, you don't want to, you know, part of the whole thing about visible and thinking and thinking routines is opening up those possibilities and creating that space and that environment for um, interaction. But I think having um, having a pathway, um, and it's a bit like the yellow brick road in the Wizard of Oz, you know, what, 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 is your, what is your pathway? What is your journey going to be through the workshop, through the tour that you're, um, you're conducting, through the, you know, it could be the materials or, or resources. And therefore, for me, it's thinking about those steps um, that you're going to take on that journey. And the first step for me is always the, the looking. And then what, are you, then what are you going to do? Are you going to, um, how are you going to move or guide or shape the group? Are you then going to introduce a new topic or theme? What questions, say, started with the questions, you know, what questions um, are you going to use and elicit? So it's about a craft, I think, more than anything else. Um, and it's experience. I think this has come up in, in many of your other um, podcasts and in your masterclasses. It, it's practice and it's identifying um, and allowing the group, your participants, your visitors through that um, through that process or pathway. And that can even be, you know, I mean, I'm talking about sort of maybe something that might be more structured in a sense if we are talking about, um, you know, a workshop or a guided tour. But actually, even if you're running, you know, a drop-in object handling desk, you know, what is it? What is your, you know, having your purpose and goal in mind um, is, is for me absolutely critical. And the, and the questions um, that you're going to use to create that environment, that stimulus um, and to create that space for dialogue um, and, you know, really thinking about that social mediation um, as well. That's really helpful. Thank you for sharing. Now, we're inviting you back to lead another masterclass on the 9th of December. So perhaps you could talk us uh, to us a little bit about what you'll be doing in that class. Yes, I'm really excited. So there will be um, a Christmas theme. One of the things that I'm really fascinated with and always have been as, 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 a, as a person that is, has two hats effectively as a historian um, and um, as an archaeologist, I'm really fascinated by the way that our objects, so whether that's you know, text-based um, or our, you know, our, our material culture um, in the form of objects, connect with and through each other. And I know that um, we often spend a lot of time looking um, and a lot of visible thinking happens um, through um, looking as a starting point, whether you're looking at an object or whether you're looking at a piece of work or looking at a building or looking at an archaeological site. Uh, but we don't actually often really think about our other senses. Um, so this is going to be a bit of a Christmassy, multi-sensory engagement. Um, also to show that we can engage our senses through object-based learning online and, and digitally. Uh, but we're going to be using listening um, as a starting point, as our stimulus. 
So I'm going to be using an object that we're going to listen to, um, for want of a better word. I don't want to give too much away, um, but uh, it, yeah, it's going to involve listening. Um, Brilliant. And, and fostering the, close, the curiosity already. <laughs> close, close, close listening. And then how we um, connect and springboard um, objects as well. You know, one of my things is that, um, you know, we, we don't, we can and, and sometimes do use objects in isolation for curiosity, for object handling, but I'm also really interested in ways that we can connect different types of objects. So whether that's text or sound um, or, or a physical object or even using um, everyday objects, um, you know, so using food or realia um, as well. Um, and, and things that we might find uh, through the through and, and in the, in the home. Oh, I'm really excited for this workshop. Um, <laughs> first time we've done slow listening as well. So if you are interested in this uh, masterclass, I will put a link in the show notes so that you can uh, take a look at all the details and sign up. Now, Joe, uh, Joanne, it's been lovely talking to you. How can people find out more about you? How can they reach out to you? Fantastic. So I am I'm on LinkedIn um, as Joanne Sunderland Bow. So you can uh, find me there and drop me a message. And also um, as Heritech, Heritech is my um, business and, and consultancy. So you can go to www.heritech.com um, and find out some of the work and the projects uh, that I've been working on. Um, as well so um, and there's links to my personal contact details in there too yeah and you also have a Facebook page as well don't you for Heritech I do have a Facebook page um, for Heritech as well so usually often part posting journeys and trips and places that I've been and sharing of course the wonderful work of the the Thinking Museum um, and other do that so well Thank you so much for sharing all the details about how people can find you. I'm going to include links to all of those in the show notes so that you can uh, connect with Joanne and also find out about uh, Heritech's work as well. So it just leaves me to say thank you for your time today. Thank you for chatting with me, for sharing your wisdom. Um, It's been lovely. It's been great to speak to you um, as well, Claire, and uh, and lovely to hear. It'll be lovely to hear um, how the listeners have have got on and any responses and ideas and thoughts they have um, in relation to our conversation today. Brilliant. So if you have got anything to say, do get in touch. Thanks a lot, Joanne. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. So huge thanks to Joanne for being on the podcast today. I hope our chat has inspired you to think about how you might use objects of any kind to engage your audiences. Now, don't forget, Joanne will be teaching a very festive masterclass on the 9th of December. It's called How to Use Slow Listening to Engage the Senses and Make Connections with Objects. So during this session, we will use a variety of mindful practices to make connections across different materials. So, for example, text, images, objects, all through using our senses through touch, sounds and smell. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to find out more and book your place on this very special class. If you want to find out more about Joanne's work, do go and find her on LinkedIn or Facebook at Heretic and say hi. I'll put all the relevant links in the show notes. 
And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe or follow us and do give us a rating and a review. Come and say hello to me on Instagram. You know I can be found there most days. Search for at Thinking Museum. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.